This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The first debate of the 2024 Republican presidential primary took place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this week. And while the eight candidates who took part were hoping to get some much-needed limelight, the elephant in the room was who wasn't there. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Donald Trump decided to skip out on this first debate, and he signaled he may not turn up at any more in the future. Trump made the announcement on social media yesterday afternoon, writing, the public knows who I am and what successful a presidency I had. Uh, I will therefore not be doing the debates. Plural. He instead chose to sit down for an interview with former Fox News superstar Tucker Carlson, which aired at the same time as the debate. Uh, there's a level of passion that I've never seen. There's a level of hatred that I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination. So did any of the other candidates manage to grab anyone's attention? Does it even matter? What's the point of televised debates if the frontrunner refuses to get on the stage? I'm Joni Grieve, in for Jonathan Friedland. And this is The Guardian's Politics Weekly America. Former Vice President Mike Pence. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. None of the candidates on that stage are making a case for why they are the best Republican candidate to take on to take on Joe Biden. Tara Setmayer is a political commentator who once worked as a communications director for a Republican congressman on Capitol Hill. In some ways, was I intrigued to see how they would behave without Trump on the stage? Uh, yes and no. They've demonstrated that they don't have the, the strength, the intestinal fortitude to take him on directly, whether he's there or not. It would have been the perfect opportunity with him not there to uh, pile on uh, legitimately about why he would not make a good nominee for the GOP and why he shouldn't be president again. But they didn't really take that opportunity except for Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. So uh, Trump wasn't there, as we've established, but there were eight candidates on the stage. We've already mentioned a couple of them, but just to go down the full list, they were Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, also of South Carolina, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Vice President Mike Pence, 
North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Tara, put yourself into the mindset of the comms teams for each of these candidates. Who out of this group most needed to capitalize on the opportunity for a spotlight? It was 100% Ron DeSantis. We cannot succeed as a country if you are working hard and you can't afford groceries, a car, or a new home while Hunter Biden can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on lousy paintings. DeSantis was kinged, you know, was crowned, excuse me, the heir apparent back in the fall when uh, Republicans didn't perform as well as they thought they would in the midterm elections. A lot of that had to do with the albatross that Donald Trump and Trumpism has become for the Republican Party in in some of these elections. And a lot of the Republican establishment and donor class thought that Ron DeSantis and, and his conservative agenda would translate and that he could take on Donald Trump. But they quickly realized once Ron DeSantis declared as a candidate that he actually wasn't very good at any of it. I think Ron DeSantis, given all of the, the, the fits and starts of his campaign, it, it, it started off complicated. And we want to welcome you to this historic Twitter Spaces event and more broadly, a first in the history of social media. Uh, tonight, I'm pleased to introduce two individuals who've done more to loosen the And with mistakes, with his announcement on Twitter and technical difficulties. Yeah, sorry about that. We, we've got so many people here. So let's see. So they just keep crashing, huh? And then the fundraising has begun to falter a little bit because big donors are leaving him because he just has not been able to live up to the expectations that many in the party had of him being the Trump killer. So I think that was he had the most to lose. And given his performance, I don't think it helped him at all. If anything, it reinforced that he's a weak candidate. And uh, I think it's the beginning of the end for Ron DeSantis. Yeah, it felt pretty telling that almost immediately after the debate, there was this clip going around the internet showing DeSantis with this pained expression on his face as he apparently tries to smile to the camera. It didn't really seem like it was helping him to cultivate the image of the man who could defeat Trump. No, not at all. The more you watch Ron DeSantis interact with people, with with voters, in interviews, the more you realize that he really is uncomfortable around people. He's somewhat smug. He's condescending. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. He hides behind this tough guy attitude, feels like he's always yelling at people. That doesn't translate well. Voting and connecting with voters and candidates, it's an emotional appeal oftentimes. It's why Donald Trump is so successful. However you feel about his character or his policies, he's charismatic and he's been very good at connecting with his voters. Ron DeSantis is not pulling that off well at all. And people feel uncomfortable around him. And you can tell that he has canned lines. He probably practiced a couple of those lines last night in the mirror and was very proud of himself. I pledge to you as your president, we will get the job done and I will not let you down. Uh, including this little smile at the end, almost like, you know, look at me, I did it. <laughs> it's it's very uncomfortable and almost almost sad for someone who uh, had such high expectations in, in uh, Republican establishment circles. He's, he's clearly not up to the task. And looking at the field beyond DeSantis, do you think there were any standouts at the debate? 
there were a couple of surprises for me, to be frank. I was was surprised at how sharp and aggressive Mike Pence came across. Every day for four years, I sought to keep that oath. And everyone on this stage needs to make it clear whether or not they'll do the same if they earn this job and the confidence of the American people. I'm not a big fan of Mike Pence, um, his sycophancy during the Trump administration. It was insufferable. But he did do the right thing on January 6th, and he's very cognizant of his place in history. And that's clear. And it's clear that he also has very personal convictions and beliefs and certain issues animate him. And he handled himself quite well against attacks from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. And, and frankly, he made Vivek look like an amateur. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. Between his pushback, Nikki Haley was also another standout performance, I think. She came across as, as in command. She knew her facts. Her foreign policy experience came through. And she was another one who had a few, more than one, memorable lines last night. First of all, the American president needs to have moral clarity. They need to know the difference between right and wrong. They need to know the difference between good and evil. Those are the debate moments that you want. So I think it was Nikki Haley and Mike Pence who were the were the biggest standouts in in the debate. And I wanted to ask you about Vivek Ramaswamy, who you already mentioned. He is the 38-year-old biotech entrepreneur who has now pulled into a distant third place in national polling. What did you make of all the criticism of him at the debate? Vivek Ramaswamy is clearly in this for the attention. It was more apparent during the debate that he is wholly unqualified to be president of the United States. He's a know-nothing blowhard, car salesman type, and he likes to hear himself talk. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The the, the reality and the fact of the matter is... Was that one of yours? uh, Not not really, Mike, actually. We're just going to have some fun tonight. And the reality is... So he brought a lot of the, the scorn on himself by attacking the other candidates on stage. And he was schooled more than once by the adults in the room. I mentioned Nikki Haley. She was U.N. ambassador. She was governor of South Carolina. She understands foreign policy. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? It shows. Uh, Her line about you have no experience in foreign policy, and it shows, was the zinger of the night. And that shut him down. Chris Christie, as well, from New Jersey, tough prosecutor. He's never one to back down. He also took Vivek to, to task on his behavior. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. He he invited that. If you're going to dish it, you're going to have to take it. But he didn't come across as a serious person. He was more interested in in getting um, insults out. And, you know, some of his policy positions were quite alarming, particularly on foreign policy. His idea of abandoning Ukraine. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States. Those are positions that would are are anathema to traditional Republican foreign policy. And um, it shows that if someone like that with those types of views can get on a debate stage and garner third place, 
It shows you how far the Republican Party has come from the days of Reagan and Bush. So I give credit to Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and the handful who did support Ukraine and explain why it was so important to do so and glad that they they were able to get those points in. But you could tell that the Republican primary electorate is much more split on this issue. And, and, and that should concern everyone because it really is about democracy. And how do you think everyone fared when discussing the issue of abortion? They all seemed quick to say that they were pro-life, but they seemed really split on the idea of passing a federal abortion ban rather than leaving it up to individual states to decide on restrictions. How do you prepare a candidate to talk about potential federal legislation when polling keeps telling us that's a really unpopular idea with the electorate? Yeah, another Republican position where states' rights and the idea of states making these decisions was something that was a hallmark of traditional Republican positions. This idea of a a federal abortion ban, I can tell you, as recent as uh, 2015 or 2016, would have been unthinkable. It It was a third rail in politics. You would never have a candidate say that they supported a federal ban on abortion because, A, we still had Roe v. Wade in place, and B, most people are in the Bill Clinton space where he said back in the 90s he believes that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Nikki Haley, I believe, had the most pragmatic answer to the abortion issue. Thank you, Martha. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. She still maintained her pro-life position. That's fine. That's that's not outside the norm of, of Republican politics. She also talked about where she believed the cutoff should be. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? But she also was pragmatic and honest about the likelihood of something like what they're proposing as a federal ban, the likelihood of that ever passing in the United States Senate or Congress. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. And she also acknowledged that we should not be demonizing women. And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. It's a personal choice. You can have your personal beliefs about the morality of it, but we should not be demonizing women who are put in that position. She took the best position on the stage on that issue. So overall, they filled the first hour or so with questions on issues like climate change, which the candidates looked fairly weak on. But the Fox News hosts, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, had told us they were going to bring up the elephant not in the room, as Baer called him. And I think this was the moment that Donald Trump himself and his supporters were really waiting for. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. When the candidates were asked whether they would still support Trump as the Republican presidential nominee if he were convicted in at least one of his four criminal cases, six out of the eight candidates raised their hands to signal that they would indeed still support Trump. How did you react to that moment, Tara? 
I just shook my head. It was such a craven moment for every single one of those individuals who raised their hands. The idea of the Republican presidential candidate saying that they would pardon Donald Trump, a plenary power given to the president of the United States uniquely in, in, in our Constitution, to absolve Donald Trump of what he has done to this country is disqualifying, in my opinion. They can't stand up for the, the Constitution, which is what their oath of office is about, then they don't deserve the highest office in the land or to be the most powerful person in the world. And that was one moment when uh, Vivek Ramaswamy really chose to speak up. He said he would not only support Trump, even in the event of a conviction, but he said he would actually pardon him on those charges. Well, Mike, why don't you say this? Join me yeah. in making a commitment well that on day one you would pardon Donald Trump. I'm the only candidate on the stage who had the courage to actually say it. That is how we move our nation forward I don't know and turn the page forward. That That's exactly Trump right. will be convicted of these crimes. You Haley, though, I thought it was interesting, kind of tried to split the difference a little. She said she would support Trump as the nominee, but then she also said three quarters of Americans don't want a rematch between Trump and Biden. And we have to face the fact that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. In your mind, Tara, who were these answers for? Do you think they were directed at Republican voters or do you think they were meant for Trump himself, who will likely be on the lookout for a running mate in the not too distant future? It was for both. And that's my point about being craven. The fact that they have to qualify their position on whether they would support Trump or not or pardon him or not, it should be an unequivocal no. No, we would not. Because this man is not qualified to be president. He has undermined our Constitution. He violated his oath of office. And he doesn't deserve to be back in the White House. That's why I'm running. And that's the, and that's the end. But they have to speak to primary voters in order to get out of the primary and possibly defeat Donald Trump if if that's the goal. Because primary voters, 69 to 70 percent of Republicans believe that Joe Biden is not the duly elected president and they support Donald Trump. That is a problem. So, yeah, it's to it's for both of them. And Nikki Haley speaks out of both sides of her mouth most of the time anyway. So I wasn't surprised that she she took that position. But Chris Christie did actually stand up to Trump, and he was booed by some of the debate crowd when he tried to convince his opponents that Trump's behavior was, as he said, beneath the office of the president of the United States. This is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. So, Tara, for conservatives like you, who also think that Trump violated his oath of office, do you think Christie is the clear choice here? Yes, but that they are few and far between in the Republican primary electorate. God bless Chris Christie for making this his crusade. He has no chance in hell of becoming the Republican nominee because of it. And that is problematic, I think, for the country, that you have an entire Republican party that boos someone who's actually standing up for the rule of law. And someone like Chris Christie, who I think in years past uh, would have done much better if Chris Christie had taken this position against Donald Trump in 2016 and decided to train his fire on Donald Trump instead of Marco Rubio because he thought that he would potentially get a position in the in the Trump administration i think we may have been in a different in a different place but that is not what the republican electorate wants 
And that's demonstrated by the reaction in the crowd. I never thought I would see that in my almost 30 years in politics, that someone would get booed for standing up for the Constitution and rule of law. But he did. It's telling. And it's um, he's behind in double di- uh, single digits in recent polling. And I want to talk about the polling because Trump suggested that the reason he decided not to turn up to the debate was because, quote, the public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had. I will therefore not be doing the debates. And he does have a point about the polling, because even though polling doesn't tell us the whole story about an election, Trump is just so far ahead of the other candidates right now. Tara, at this point, did this debate make any difference in this race? No difference whatsoever. This did not move the needle for or against Donald Trump. He is he is still the prohibitive front runner. And he was right. If you are an incumbent and you're beating your opponent by 40, 50 points, you don't debate them because nothing good can happen on the debate stage. Only bad things can happen for a front runner on the debate stage. So you would why take the risk, number one? And number two, why elevate your lesser opponent? However, I'm not sure if he is going to stay out of the fray for as long as he claims because the debate last night was very entertaining and Donald Trump doesn't like not being the center of attention. So his decision to do an online pre-taped interview with Tucker Carlson on the former Twitter site, it fell flat. And I'm not so sure Trump is going to stay on the sidelines throughout the rest of the of the debates just because his ego won't allow him to. But we'll see. And I'm glad you mentioned Tucker Carlson. It was a pretty bizarre spectacle, unsurprisingly. There was the usual name calling with Trump referring to one opponent as a savage lunatic and another as weak and pathetic. No surprise, he argued he's the only Republican who can beat Joe Biden and accuse the radical left or deep state, as he calls it, of heaping baseless charges on him to thwart his bid to reclaim the White House. Uh, They talked about some uh, conspiracy theories involving Jeffrey Epstein, for example. Who do you think got more out of that interview, Trump or Carlson? Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is looking for relevance since he was fired from Fox News very unceremoniously. He's been out of the fray when he was the number one cable show host in the United States with a very powerful platform that he no longer has. So he desperately needed that boost. Tucker Carlson has trafficked in some of these conspiracy theories in this very uh, smug, like, I'm just asking questions kind of posture. And it normalizes these issues, and it shouldn't be. And when you have someone who is the front runner for the Republican Party, former president, engaging in in these conversations, it legitimizes them. I, I could not believe that Tucker Carlson... May, impl- implied that Democrats may try to kill Donald Trump. There, it started with protests against you, massive protests, right. organized protests by the left, and then it moved to impeachment twice, right. and now indictment. I mean, the next stage is, is violence. Is, are you worried that they're going to try and kill you? Why wouldn't they try and kill you, honestly? Uh, they're savage animals. They are people that are sick, really sick. This is very dangerous, politically violent rhetoric. We've already seen during the Trump administration how what that can produce and also further supports why he's so disqualified from being president again. 
Now, realistically, Trump's lawyers were probably delighted he spoke to Carlson instead of doing a live televised debate. On Thursday, he surrendered to a Fulton County jail where he pleaded not guilty to racketeering and conspiracy charges over his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. And it was reported that Trump had his lawyers negotiate the booking time to take place during the prime viewing hours for the cable news networks so he could be beamed into the homes of his supporters looking defiant. And that might seem like an odd political instinct, but the polls show that Trump supporters have really rallied around him in the wake of these criminal charges. So how can the likes of Tim Scott or Mike Pence compete with that kind of airtime? They can't. And Trump knows that. He is a very savvy politician in his in his ability to manipulate the media, garner earned media attention and suck all the oxygen out of the room. And None of the other candidates running against him have that ability, which is why Trump will be the nominee, which is why I say that these these Republican debates are really just political kabuki theater for second place or a position in the cabinet or vice president. But the idea that he would make this a media spectacle, that he's wearing these indictments and these arrests with a badge of valor, is the world turned upside down. There is no low anymore in the Republican Party. But Donald Trump is a failed reality show host and he understands <laughs> he understands how to entertain. And unfortunately in this day and age that resonates with a large portion of our electorate. To wrap up, let's just do some quick one name answers here. Tara, in your mind, who lost the debate on Wednesday? Ron DeSantis. And who won the debate? Nikki Haley. Tara Setmayer, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you for having me. That's all for me this week. For anybody looking for something a bit different, on our sister podcast, Science Weekly, there's news that 20 years after the first pass at sequencing the entire human genome, the Y chromosome has finally been fully decoded. Madeline Finley looks at why it has proved so tricky, the role of the Y chromosome in our bodies, and the likelihood of it eventually dying out altogether. Just search Science Weekly wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, and the executive producer this week is Nicole Jackson. I'm Joni Grieve. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.